what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you is it not this that your passions are at war within you you desire and do not have so you murder you covet and cannot obtain so so you have fight and quarrel you do not have because you do not ask you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions you adulterous people do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with god therefore therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of god or do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us but he gives us more grace therefore it says god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble submit yourselves therefore therefore to god resist the devil and he will flee from you Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother, speaks evil against the law, and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? For reading that, there was enough of them that could take two verses each. And that was pretty cool. I appreciate that very, very much. This is a little bit back, and I'm afraid I'll knock it over because I am apt to do such a thing. And uh, again, it's good to see you here, whether live or online, and, uh, and, and we're glad you could be with us. Uh, this past weekend has been July the 4th, and uh, that's an exciting time for me. I, I love our nation. I was born here and raised here and, and have a love for this country. And uh, so I am glad that we're here but we've got troubles today, don't we? We, we, we have uh, difficulties in our nation. I appreciated singing uh, the, the Battle Hymn of the Republic uh, uh, this morning. Where America. America the Beautiful, I'm sorry, not Battle Hymn. But in there, it, it talked about God fixing our flaws. And I appreciate that our governing documents, the original documents, were designed such a way we could correct our flaws. And that's what we are always in the process of doing. Some people get a little anxious about that and start trouble, but, uh, but we have a process and it works when we work the process. And so I'm thankful for that, but we have conflicts in our country. We have conflicts all around us. I'm calling the sermon today Relationship Restart because in any relationship in our life, we have a lot of struggles. We, we, we have it, as I said, our, our country was born in conflict. Uh, we were born because we didn't like the way another nation ruled us and uh, so we declared our independence uh, 244 years ago uh, today, or yesterday actually, 
Uh, but but there, there's a lot of conflict. Did you know that they're expecting, because of COVID-19, that there will be an increased divorce rate? Because all of a sudden, the person you loved and promised God you would be with forever, you got enough of them now. And it's just, it's getting bad. I mean, literally, they're, they're wondering. Uh, also, there will be a baby boom, so I don't know which side of that issue you're on. But um, uh, one or the other, is gonna, it seems like uh, we're going to be seeing more of that. So we, we do, we have conflicts between husbands and wives, parents and children, amongst friends, uh, with co-workers, talking to somebody the other day uh, about having a very, very close and good friend of mine, and we could only stand each other so long, and then we said, I gotta go, it's okay, and we just separate for a while and then come back together, because it just, that's the way our personalities were, but we loved, liked each other, we, we had fun together, but eh, only so much. And so we, in any relationship, there's conflict, many times people uh, are looking for how do you solve that and so they they look to the church they look to Christ who can solve all our conflicts right but James is going to help us out on how to do that but but I've been in and seen in churches intense conflicts where they they fight and split and divide over stuff that don't matter to a hill of beans that I'm growing a little box behind my house right now it's just it's crazy there's nothing worth fighting over except the truth and when it's the truth, that's worth taking a stand on. And it's still not worth fighting for unless somebody wants to fight you over it. You just stand for the truth. Hopefully, uh, we, you can dialogue and, and learn uh, when, you, when maybe you might be in error. That's the problem is we all think I'm right, you know. I don't mean all of you think I'm right. I mean each one of us thinks we are right. And so we have conflict because when someone doesn't agree with us, we think of them as wrong, not just having uh, another opinion. So we have fightings in the church that are... Horrible. James addresses these relationship uh, bad uh, breakdowns and the bad news, but the problem is all of those conflicts come back to me. We have some samples uh, to show you of some conflicts if you want to show some of them. Uh, that's for the nerds in here, including me. Uh, it's depending on your perspective, how many things are there, right? <laughs> Looks like three on one side and four on the other. Well, we want to help today with relationship restart. And uh, the scriptures have already been read, but let me give you something I want you to take home with you just to sum up what we want to say today. If God is not evident in your earthly relationships, is he evident at all? If, if God could solve the chasm between man and himself, and then through that he gives us the opportunity to solve relationship issues of anger. I mean, there, listen, there's just some people that you're not going to get along with, right? But that doesn't mean you have to be mean, Amen? We like to get mean for some reason. But, but if God could solve that, that he couldn't even look at us because of our sin, and he took care of our sin so that we could have a relationship with him. See, God didn't, God didn't have to uh, change himself to get us on his side. He had to change us so that we would follow him and be with him. And he took care of the issue between us, which was sin, and Christ became sin on the cross and died. And here in James 4, and I go to this passage a lot when I'm talking to people who are in conflict, because it says the source of all conflicts is you. I wasn't sure how to construct that sentence because I had plural and, and singular in the same sentence. Any conflict you're in, the problem is you. It's been said, if you meet a jerk the first thing in the morning, you met a jerk. If you meet a jerk all day long, you might be the jerk. <laughs> and that's what James 4 says. 
take look at yourself and says, what is the source? He says, where come these quarrels? What causes these fights among you? It's your passions that are at war with, uh, within you. That there are things that you desire. So what we see first is that we have relationships at war. There, there's marks of worldliness in us when we are in conflict. Where are your passions? What is it that you desire? Is that a godly desire? Remember when I use that word godly, I mean godlike. When I was a kid, preachers would talk about being godly, and some of the ones I listened to, uh, what they thought of as godly and what the Bible describes as godly is not the same thing. So I want to be real careful when I say that word, godly and ungodly, I mean like God or unlike God. And so we have ungodly passions. That is, we are desiring something God doesn't want us to have. We, we have two other words we use to describe that, lust and covetousness, uh, or covet. Lust is when you desire something that God says you may not have. Coveting is when you desire something somebody else does have that God let them have, but you want to take it from them. You want it for yourself, even though God said no to you about having it. Might not be a sinful thing, might be a, a good thing, but you want what they have. It might be a bigger car, a bigger house, a better car, a, some new toy, whatever. It, we see that, I mean, toddlers example that for us, right? A toddler's favorite toy is the one the other kids got. You know that to be a true. Well, I, I used to like to say that people don't grow up, they just get bigger and stronger. <laughs> that's all. We still have some of those same selfish desires, and that's what James is saying. When our passions are for ourselves, and he's going to say that very clearly, then it causes conflict because we're not getting what we want. And when you don't get what you want, you become frustrated. And frustration leads to anger. And anger leads to conflict, and all of that actually will lead you to depression eventually. If you're living your life always wanting something out there other than God. You see, the biggest lesson that you'll ever learn, and the hardest thing for any of us to do, I, I, I believe, and that, that may not be true, but I believe, is to be satisfied with God. And when I say that, I mean if you never get another meal you're satisfied with God. If you never have a home in which to live, you're satisfied with God. If you're single, you never have a boyfriend or girlfriend, or you never get married, you're satisfied with God. And if you are married, you're satisfied with who God gave you. Whatever your situation in life, if God's not enough, nothing will be enough. Someone else described it this way, that God put a God-sized hole in us that only God can fill. And when we, we try to fill that hole with anything else, it causes quarrels and fighting. Listen to this progression that, that James look, uh, describes. He says, your, um, this, that your passions are at war with you. You desire and you don't have. You, there's something you want you don't have. And he says, so you murder. Now, I think James means literally there are people that will murder to take something from someone, but you might murder their reputation. You might murder your relationship with them in order just to get what they have. 
You covet and you can't obtain it. You desire it. Remember I described the word covet. Somebody else has the thing you want and you desire what they have instead of what God gave you. And so he says, and you can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And then he says something very simple. The reason you don't have it is you didn't ask for it. You see, God wants to give you every good thing that would be good for you. But you never ask him. You're just trying to get what everybody else has instead of being satisfied with God and saying, God, what do you have for me? David said this in the psalm. I think it's, uh, it's either the 72nd or 76th psalm. In there, he's, I believe that's right. But he says, whom do I have in heaven but thee? And on earth, there's nothing I desire but you. Now, when David messed up in his life, how come he messed up? Because he desired something for himself. Bathsheba, counting the people to know how strong his armies were. Instead of just trusting God. Hey, God, you got it. What you give me, I'm happy with. When he brought his own desires out, bad things started to happen. And then notice what he says. You do not have because you do not ask. And then he says, but you ask and you still don't get it. Why? Because you ask for the wrong motive, the wrong reason. You ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Uh, I'll give you an illustration of a good side of this. My, my brother-in-law uh, grew up, uh, their, their family had a, a home on, on a lake, and they grew up going out to that lake every summer, every weekend they were at the lake, and they would fish in that lake, and his dad had a boat called a Boston Whaler, and you may be familiar with boats, but a Boston Whaler is a very fine boat. Um, they aver used to advertise it by sawing one in half and showing you that it would still float, even sawn in half. That was the deal back then of a Boston Whaler. Well, when, when my brother-in-law got older, that boat had gotten deteriorated. He went to his father and said, Dad, I would like to have the Boston Whaler. He said, and I will fix it up, and my brothers can use it, but they got to ask me to use it. And he said, okay. So he took that whaler, he fixed it up, had it really nice, and once again as an adult was enjoying his childhood uh, habit of going to the lake and having that boat. And one day he read in the, in the religious paper put out by the churches of that area that there was a man who needed a Boston whaler. He asked specifically for the very boat my brother-in-law had. And so he called up the, the guy in charge and he said, why does he need a boat? Because if he just wants to have a skiing ministry, I don't I want to help him. But if, but if there's a good reason, I want to help him. He said, well, he's got a church on the lake. It'd take him three hours to ride around in a car to get to the other side of the lake. But with a boat, he can get there in 30 minutes. He said, all right, well, I've got the boat for him. He said, I'll bring it and drop it off. And the guy said, well, good, we'll, have, we'll take your picture, we'll put it. He said, no, 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 you don't understand. You're not going to brag about me at all. You're not going to say where it came from. I'm just giving it to you. You see, the possession didn't possess him. And the man who needed it needed it literally to help him pasture better where he was. He didn't want it for a fishing ministry or a skiing ministry. It wasn't for himself, in other words. Sometimes the stuff we want, we say, oh, Lord, if you just give me that, I promise I'll use it in ministry. Lord, give me a bigger house. I'll have the youth group over every week. And then you forget about it. You know, you, you, God gives you that and you don't do it. Why? Because that's not really your motive. And remember, it's really hard for us, even once we're saved and made new in Christ, it's hard not to have a selfish motive in our prayers. I, sometimes people 
We, we convince people to pray to follow Christ selfishly. What do we say? Do you know if you die, you're going to heaven? Now, it's a good question to get people to think. But what we're saying is, you don't want to go to hell, do you? Well, you know what? If you just ask Jesus into your heart, you won't go to hell. Well, what did I just tell them? Hey, if you give me $10 a month, I'll sell you this life insurance too. There's no commitment. There's no, I'm going to follow the life insurance company for the rest of my life. It's just give me $10 a month. Just give God this prayer. Bang, you go to heaven. No, no sweat, no foul. That's nothing to do with what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches to know Christ is to follow him and desire to do his will and to give up your own will, to give up your own desire and say, God, whatever you give me, I'm happy with that. I know a pastor, a preacher. He was, he, he was only a pastor a short time, but he preached everywhere. Billy Graham preached his funeral. And one Sunday morning, he woke up, and his wife was gone. Not physically left. She had died during the night. And it was a Sunday morning, he got up and he went and preached. And he said in that sermon that morning, I promised God a long time ago, however he did it, would be okay with me. And I had an obligation to be here, and he went. Now, I, 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 I'm not sure I could be that guy. But my point here is just simply, we ask so we can have it, so we can consume it on ourselves. We don't really intend to give that 100% back to God. But when we do that, here's the problem we're having, is we're forgetting that the air you're breathing belongs to God. The heart that is beating belongs to God. The health that you do have belongs to God. The ill health that you might have belongs to God. And everything that he's put in your possession, whether it be houses or land or whatever, is given to you for the glory of God, not to make you rich and happy. Now, I know that goes contrary to a ton of teaching out there in the world, but that is devilish teaching, that God wants you to be happy on earth. No, he wants you to be holy. And you will be happy if you will be content with what he gives. But we live in a world, man, advertisement is to get you to desire something you probably don't even need. It's something to think about. I'm, I'm not against any of those things, trust me. I wish I had a bunch of acreage. I wish I had a big old house. I wish I had the newest thing, the best thing. I, that's just kind of who we are as people. But when we let that desire get ahead of God's will in our life, that's when we get in trouble. That's when we start messing up. And so what we need is God, but what we do is we seek that satisfaction in other places. And here's what happens. We, we, we have questionable motives for ourselves, and we ought to. He says in verse 4, You adulterous people, do you, do you not know that friendship with the world is the, to be the enemy of God? What, what happens is when we don't get what we want in our relationships, there creates an explosion. And here's why we begin questioning the other person's motive. Oh, they're not giving me what I want because they, and then you just make it up in your mind. You start, you start speculating over why, why, don't, why do they have that and I don't have that. You see that? David writes that in the Psalms. What well, Lord, why do the wicked prosper? I mean, he's asking God, why'd they get all that stuff? And here I am running from a king that I didn't even hurt, you know? 
And, and then if you keep reading, God gives David answers there in the Psalms. But David is, is expressing, and the Bible says that's, a, that's our nature we express. Why, why are you blessing that guy? And here I am trying to follow you, and everything's tough on me. And we begin to question God's motives. We begin to question other people's motives. And we speculate, and then we exaggerate. How many of you are parents? How many of you are parents that your children are or have been teenagers? Can I get or do this? Why? No, you can't. Oh, Dad, everybody's got that. Or everybody's doing it. See, I learned a long time ago, I'm not doing it. So everybody's not doing it. That's a lie. <laughs> and everybody doesn't have it because I don't have it, and I'm not going to get it, and neither are you. And that is the truth because everybody doesn't have it. You see, we, we, I told you, we don't, get, we don't ever grow up. We just get older and bigger. And, and as adults, we still do that, and we exaggerate. I've got to have that. If I'm going to die. There was a man who once wanted to get rid of everything that wasn't necessary, and he wound up eventually, all he had was a bowl to eat and drink out of. And then he saw a man cupping water with his hands and eating with his fingers out of food in his hands, so he gave away his bowl. <laughs> if you really, I, I mean, that, that's an extreme thing, but that actually did happen. But, and it was a long time ago, but but that is an extremity we don't necessarily have to get to. But listen, don't let your possessions possess you. And when you don't get what you want, then you go through this thing. And then you, you gossip. You know what? I bet they're, just, they're doing that. Just I, Listen, there are certain things that we can do as a church. And I could write in advance the things people are going to say about it. Put an envelope, seal it up, hand it to somebody, and say, Hey, when we get in trouble with this, open this envelope. And, and I'll tell you that's going to come out. And they will, make, they will make accusations, they'll gossip, they'll say stuff when they don't have an idea what the reality is. They just start yapping their gums. Listen, if you don't know, shut up and find out. Before you say something, know what you're talking about. Because you create conflict when you imagine it in your head, you make up your own story, and then you start talking to people about something that you have no clue about. And the Bible says, and the reason we do that is because there's something in us that is jealous for, desires in a bad way what someone else has or owns. And there in verse 4, I've already read that again, but he says we, we make ourselves a friend of the world, but when we do that, we become the enemy of God. When we desire the things of this world more than the things of the world to come, we are making ourselves the friend of this world. Again, God is not opposed to you having a bigger house or a nicer car or more land. That's fine. That's great. If God bless, There's a lot of people in the Bible he blessed that way. Godly people like Abraham and like Joseph and put them in place of power and gave them much wealth. But they used it for the glory of God. And, 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 but he says, but when that is your heart, when that's your desire. By the way, the negative example is Lot's wife. She didn't turn to a pillar of salt because she looked over her shoulder hearing whatever explosions were going on behind her. The sense of the Hebrew word is that she turned and gazed longingly. She wanted to go back and have her life back in that place. And because her heart turned from God and back toward the thing they were fleeing, God turned her into a pillar of salt. So he says in verse 5, Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose? Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. See, 
when you become that friend of the world, you make yourself the enemy of God. Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon. You will hate one and love the other. When you have divided loyalties, they will come into conflict. And if your loyalties come into conflict, that means one of them's wrong. And if it's God in the world, the world is always going to be the wrong side of the equation. God desires to live in you. God desires to possess all of you. He wants not only your soul for eternity. He wants your life in the here and now. He wants your mind and your strength and your heart now. And that's a lot more than just saying, Lord, I don't want to go to hell when I die. Please save me. Amen. That is that I surrender all decisions to him. But Hudson Taylor, great missionary, said, God reserves the best who leave the decision up to him. And God will give you the best thing in your life. And I promise you this, one day you're going to die. And when you die, you will never be sad that you followed God. But you will have regret if you did not. Well, that's the negative side. How do you become a friend of God? Here's the marks of friendship with God. God gives more grace. Look there in verse 6. He, he starts off uh, by saying, he, but he gives more grace. I like the word but. Remember, the word and means a combination, but the, the but means this different. <laughs> that was true, something that is even better here. And so he says, but he gives more grace. Why? Because as I said, even as saved people, sin still lives with us, according to Romans chapter 7. Even as a saved person, there's still something in this fallen body and fallen uh, uh, world that echoes to sin and causes that desire to reach out. And we have to, we have, to have spiritual warfare, we have to guard our hearts and minds, the Bible says in the New Testament. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, and in Philippians it, it describes how we have to guard our mind, guard our heart, guard our desires. And God extends grace, and he gives more grace when we're in need. He will always fill your need with his grace. Now, what is grace? We think of it as salvation because it takes grace to become saved, right? To, to, to be a follower of God. You can't do that on your own. It takes the grace of God. And, and so the word grace... This isn't the full meaning, but included in the meaning is the word power. That is that God gives you the strength or the power to do what he asks you to do. And James is saying, so this is, this is you and yourself. You're at war with yourself. You're at war with your mate. You're at war with, with your friends. You're at war at work. You're at war at church. You're at war everywhere because you want something that you just don't have and you don't like the way you don't have it. And James comes along and says, but God gives more grace. Now, how would you like to be the half-brother of Jesus and have your mom say, why can't you be like your older brother? Uh, duh, because his dad's different. <laughs> that might have something to do with it. His dad was God or is God, and he, my dad's Joseph. And, and so James says God gives more grace. It, it's a wonderful thing. James didn't believe in Jesus until Jesus died and rose again and quickly became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And writes this great practical book about how to follow Jesus because that's what he did. He had to give up his own will, his own desires, his own selfishness to be a servant of his brother, Jesus. He gives more grace. Now, if God gives more grace, what does that mean for you? That means you have to extend more grace to others. 
And all of a sudden, the conflict starts going down. When you're giving grace to people who've hurt you, when you go, you know what, they're, they're falling and mess up too, just like me. And so I'm going to assume the best and I'm going to pray for them. Some people won't let you be nice to them. I, I get that. But when you change your attitude, it's not going to bother you as much. And you've got to give grace because God gave you more grace to forgive you of your selfishness, to forgive you of your sin. He gives more grace, therefore God, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I come back to July 4th this weekend, the celebration. At 9-11, when, when the towers were attacked, at all that we've seen and all that we're seeing today, the rioting in the streets and all the things that are happening, it ought to make us stop and say, oh God, help us. And we ought to be humbled in asking God to forgive us for where we had opportunity, but we did not give his gospel to the entire world as he called us to do. And so to humble ourselves before him, notice he gives a progression here. God says he opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So to be humble means not to think too highly of yourself, to go, I know who I am, fallen creature saved by grace of God, and God will give me grace to live the life he wants me to live. It's not my power. I don't ever, I'm not the source of being good. God is the only source of good in my life. And so he says, submit yourselves therefore to God. The person you submit to, the person you surrender to is God. Now, what is going to happen? You've got the right attitude when you submit to God because now you've quit struggling in your own strength and you've become reliant on God. Today in my almost for his highest, uh, the devotional that was created by Oswald Chambers' wife, uh, the, the teaching today is that we can do this church work without ever talking to God. That's, that's the summation of it. And that is very true in our life. And so we have to submit to God. We have to get the right attitude. And then he says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. A lot of people want to resist the devil without ever going to warfare. I didn't do that. Without ever going to warfare with God first. To get, get with God first. You don't do warfare by fighting the devil. You do warfare by submitting to God and then resisting the devil. Even Michael, it says in Jude, the archangel would not bring an accusation against Satan, but said, the Lord rebuke you. And so you first you got to get in the right place, and then you got to do real warfare uh, with putting on the armor and fighting against the enemy. Because uh, somebody said they could resist anything but temptation. Here he says, you've got to resist Satan. You've got to resist those desires. And then he says to clean up. He says, uh, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinner, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, clean up your actions and change the way you think. Change your desires. Desire God rather than desire a thing. Desire God rather than desire a relationship. Desire God rather than desire a certain job or, or something like that. Cleanse your hands. Stop habitual sin. Purify your heart. Get the right desires in your heart. You only get that when you're in the Word, when you're finding out what is it that God wants. There's a great prayer that's been prayed, and we ought to pray it a lot. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Put your desire in my heart so I desire what you desire. Because that's what God is doing in our life. And then he says, turn away from your ways. You, you, you uh, cleanse your hearts. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. We spend all the time trying to be happy, trying to be upbeat. 
And the Bible says, no, submit to God and go in mourning and God will lift you up. It says in Psalm, if you go out sowing seed with tears, you'll come back joyful, reaping a harvest with you. And so turn from your ways and be on guard. And then lastly, in the last two verses, edification takes effort, okay? Helping build someone else up takes effort. And so you have to commit your relationships to God because look at verses uh, 11 and 12. And by the way, I didn't read 10 again, but that's where he says, humble yourself and he'll lift you up. Then he says, don't speak evil against one another. Brothers, the one who speaks evil against a brother judges a, judges a brother, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. You're saying, God, I know better than you do because that guy, you need to take care of that guy. He's wrong. Who, who died and made you God? God is that judge. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, and he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So he's telling us there, speak to edify each other. Don't speak to tear each other down. It says in Ephesians, corrupt communication. Uh, we ought not let that come out of our mouth, but only a word that is good for the edifying of the believer. So you've got to listen to people to love them, not to judge them. Because when somebody is, is angry or upset or mad or evil, they've got a need. They're either not saved or they're having a bad day. And God has put you in their way to bring grace to them, not to fight back and fight fire with fire, but to fight fire with grace. And let God use you and go through you to help them. Now, if you live with them constantly, if it's your mate, if it's your children, if it's your parents, if it's people you go to work with or school with, listen, God's put you there to be a peacemaker, a person who gives the peace of God that you have because you've been given peace with God through Christ. Now you can have the peace of God in your life to extend to others. Well, what can you do with all of this? Well, first of all, be satisfied with God. I can't say it more plainly than that. So, so many times, when talking to someone who seems desperate, and I mean that very lightly, but who, who's very eager to have a relationship or something in their life that's not there, first, be satisfied with God. Because if He's not enough, nothing will ever be enough. And if you got God, you, you can have satisfaction. And then... Use those steps that we went over, verses 6 through 10, to give yourself a makeover. Those verses are for you, okay? And so go back and read this whole passage, but concentrate in those verses and see these steps, submitting to God and turning your heart and mind and attitudes and actions over to Him for His correction. And then commit to God all of your relationships, your spouse and others, to edify and love. And promise to God and to others, I'm going to speak words that will build you up, not tear you down. Bad actions, bad speech is a habit, but so is good speech and good action. And we don't do it to make it a habit, but God can help put down this evil desire and raise our desire for His will in our life. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we come to you thanking you for this book, James. We thank you uh, for creating James and making him the half-brother of Christ so that he could become that great leader of the church, write this epistle that, that lets us know how to live out Christ in an opposing world.